0: We're going to be in Luke chapter 23, as I mentioned at the outset of the service, Luke 23, verses 26 through 43. I want to talk this morning on the subject of the grace of God at the cross of Christ. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand as we read the word of God and we listen attentively to his voice and give reverence to the authority with which it speaks. Beginning in verse 26 of Luke 23, hear the word of the Lord. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you were under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now, as always, for your word, that it is true and living, active and powerful, able to to pierce the very center of our beings, cut to the core, as it were, and discern the thoughts and intentions of our hearts, things that we don't even understand about ourselves, reveal needs we don't even know we have. And so, God, we bring that to you with open hearts today, And pray that you would speak, O Lord, your word, by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory, knowing it's for our good always. Lord, would you move me out of the way? Use my voice as your instrument to communicate to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And you may be seated. Well, as always on uh, Communion Sunday, I'm, I'm going to try to uh, cover this a little bit more concisely than I otherwise would. It's loaded as every passage in the scripture, I suppose, is some more than others. There's so much um, here, though, that I won't touch. But this scene, as you know, takes place on Friday, Good Friday, as we call it. Jesus had arrived in Jerusalem the Sunday prior to that on This, what we commemorate as Palm Sunday, arrived to the cheers of crowds and that sort of thing. By Thursday night, he had been taken into custody, tried in an illegal trial overnight. And then, first thing in the morning, he was condemned to death, scourged, and then led away uh, to be crucified. And that's the account that Luke picks up here, uh, recorded in in all four Gospels with some difference in details here and there. But it seems that there are two things in particular that Luke, in his telling of this series of events, that he wants to draw our attention to. There are more than two, but there are two that seem to me uh, pretty obvious partly because there there are themes that come out in Luke's writings, not only in his gospel, but also in the book Book of Acts. But first of all, he wants us to understand that in large part, Jesus was being mocked and reviled. That's the reception that he got um, from most people. And so he mentions here in particular the Jewish leaders who represent the sort of religious and even local political establishment. They're the authority figures. They're the voices that matter, so to speak. They're mocking and reviling, them. the Roman soldiers are as well. Of course, it mentions the uh, one thief in particular on the cross. And then Matthew and Mark, in their accounts of this, point out that there were also passersby by who were adding to the insults. That is to say that the the, the general tone of what's going on here is that Jesus is being mocked and reviled. In fact, what you notice here is that Luke emphasizes the humiliating nature of the crucifixion more than the excruciating, painful nature of it, right? Although it is that, for sure, inherently. But that's not what he elaborates on here. He's pointing out the mockery and the shame and the humiliation that most of the people, most of the voices are directing his way. But the second thing that he highlights is that there were those who treated Jesus with dignity and honor. He draws attention to that fact. And there are really three of them, a foreigner, a group of women, and a thief. This is the sort of thing that Luke does consistently throughout his gospel. and you can go back and read it and see if this isn't true. But he, he draws attention to the people who usually are either pushed to the margins of the uh, community of faith or, either, or considered to be outside the community of faith. Those who don't have any sort of power or regard by, by uh, anybody, he highlights... Them and their faith in Christ and their uh, reception into the kingdom of God. There's a place for them. He does this frequently, and uh, and e- even here at the crucifixion, to be included. A foreigner who carried the cross, Simon of Cyrene, a group of women, and a thief who defends him. But I want it this morning. I just want to zoom in on two of those individuals, and just. Notice how the grace of God was at work in their lives, not only as a result of the events of the crucifixion, but even as the events of the crucifixion unfolded. The grace of God at the cross of Christ. So I want to I look at two portraits of that. Uh, first, in the person of Simon. Simon of Cyrene, and second, and the thief on a cross. But let's look first at Simon, who we know almost nothing about. We actually know what's told to us right here in verse 26. It says, as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. There, there is something I love about the, the kind of ambiguity of a, of a character like this who's uh, introduced just briefly and so much is not said about him because there are, there are, there are ways in which um, it allows everybody to kind of identify with the individual. When in other words, when it doesn't paint them so uh, narrowly or specifically that um, lots of people can identify with them, I, I, I appreciate that. On the other hand... The other thing that it tends to do is invite a whole lot of speculation from a whole lot of people. And it's fascinating the kind of things you can read about Simon and Cyrene uh, that are inferred. And it's not that they're reasonable uh, assumptions or inferences drawn. But for example, uh, Simon was from Cyrene, a, a, a city in the north of Africa. It's in current modern-day Libya. Where there was a sizable Jewish community, uh, of you know there were Jews spread throughout uh, the Roman world, but he could have been a Jew of Jewish heritage, coming back to Jerusalem to worship at at uh, Passover. He could have been a pagan. <laughs> he could have been uh, olive skinned Jew. He could have been a black African. Um, and people have preached sermons on all of those things. I mean, you, you can you can go online and find r- stuff written and preached about uh, all of those kind of things that, that aren't said here. They're possibilities. They're just not said explicitly. In fact, one of the one of the things also that's not said is why did they make Jesus carry his cross? Most often, scholars assume that it is because he was so weakened by the scourging that he couldn't carry it all the way. He left uh, initially carrying it himself and then couldn't carry it any longer. Again, very reasonable, but it doesn't say that. There's a lot that isn't answered here. But let's talk about what we do know. Uh, We know here his name. The fact that his name was Simon is not of great significance. It was a common name. But he's the only person named in this passage. This is, this, this is the sort of thing that grabs me and, and, uh, and makes me curious as to why that would be. He, he doesn't name the thief on the cross, either one of them. Doesn't name any of the women there who were weeping, any of the Jewish leaders. Nobody else is named except for this guy. Simon. Mark actually in his account in Mark chapter 15 adds the names of his sons. Alexander and Rufus. Says nothing more about them other than the fact that their names were known. And again, exactly what the significance of that is, uh, we don't know. But it's very likely that they were known within the Christian community at the time. That Luke wrote his gospel. Those are names, in other words, that people recognize. He can just mention them. Oh yeah, I know who that is. Can't be certain of that, um, but but again, a reasonable in- inference there. He's a known. He's a known individual. Uh, very possibly brought into the community of faith, into a, a lasting faith in Jesus through this moment. But we. We know his name and not the name of anybody else. As I said before, we know he was a foreigner from this city called Cyrene, and um, whether as a Jew coming from afar or a pagan coming from afar, part of the message here and one of the, again that Luke really leans on is that the gospel was offered to the Jews first but also to the Greeks. That the gospel was going to all the world and that everybody from all the nations would be invited into fellowship with God. That was one of the uh, proclamations that got the Jewish establishment absolutely enraged at Christians in the first century. That claim that the Gentiles, those unclean people, could be welcomed into the family of faith. So that's probably noteworthy here, uh, the, the reason, one of the reasons perhaps that he mentions where Simon's from. He's a foreigner. He was coming in from the countryside. That's what the, a third thing that we know. Mark refers to him as a passerby. He was on his way to somewhere and it wasn't to carry the cross of Jesus. Simon did not show up that day to be part of that crowd, part of that procession. It may have been he was going into the city while they were going out. And they said, hey you, stop, pick up this cross. He was a passerby. And then the next thing it tells us, he was seized and compelled to, The other, uh, Matthew and Mark say, compelled to carry the cross of Jesus. He did not choose to do a good deed for Jesus that day. He was chosen for a good deed. Nothing indicates he was eager. You might imagine if you're on your way to somewhere, I mean, you don't even want to catch a red light <laughs> or right, or see the lights flashing and know there's a wreck on the highway. Uh, oh my goodness, you're looking for an exit. How do I detour around this one? He's a he's passing by on his way to somewhere, and and they seized him and said, "Pick up this cross." And one of the things we need to remember all the time is, even though uh, that that. Uh, command was issued by Roman soldiers who, who, whatever their motivation is, whatever their motivation is, um, they issue that command, but all of these events unfold under the sovereign hand of God. That that, that, That there is a very real sense in which he is not just chosen by the Roman soldiers to carry the cross of Christ. He's chosen by God for that task. Not because, from all appearances, not because he had any particular affection for Jesus, knowledge of Jesus, belief in anything Jesus had preached. But God chose him for this task On this particular day. And then the the final thing I would point out there. That we might otherwise just read right past as we're reading uh, this passage of scripture. That he walked behind Jesus. Now why that detail to share it again is just like the others that don't really know. He doesn't say he moves right on. He doesn't really explain himself Uh, Any further, there's no way really to be sure what he intended by this. But it does provide a powerful picture, doesn't it, of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because Jesus himself said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You remember that scripture? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. And Simon here, not by his own design or intentions, is made to take up the cross of Jesus and follow him literally to the site of the crucifixion. It's a powerful picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Partly because it was hard. It was hard. And this is one of the things underestimated a lot of times by Christians, especially American Christians, who think that following Jesus just means life is going to get easier, that their problems are going to be solved, right? Especially if they come to faith in, in Christ and they, they experience, you know, that the first sort of honeymoon period of, of just faith with Him and how sweet it is and just... Um, and thinking you know, it's always going to be good and you're always going to feel like you're floating on a cloud or whatever. That is not the whole story. And people who know so said, Amen. <laughs> Following Jesus comes with hardship. And Simon uh, experiences that in a very literal way where immediately his first introduction to Jesus is being given a very hard task of carrying his cross and following him. Why was he chosen? Who knows? There's a whole crowd of people. There was a whole crowd of people. And he's the one picked out to carry it and walk behind Jesus. And one of the, One of the things to think about is the view that he had of that back that had been scourged, whipped 39 times, torn to shreds. How would that change you? To walk that, however far that walk was from the time he picked up that cross to that site. And to have a view of Jesus that very, very few people would ever have. Why was he chosen? He, he was probably wondering the same thing. From his perspective, he was, he was just minding his own business. And showed up in exactly the wrong place, quote unquote, at the wrong time. But what does that look like from God's perspective? Maybe He he, I was going to say invited uh, Simon into something. He didn't, it wasn't an invitation. <laughs> he, he brought Simon into uh, a glorious event to serve the Lord in an extraordinary way. It was something very right and good about it in the, in the long run. And again, perhaps in bringing him and his family into the church of Jesus by faith in Christ. People who became known within the community of faith for generations to come. Really for all the rest of Christian history. We know of Simon and the name of his sons because of that. That was was an act of the grace of God. You see, God taking the initiative by his sovereign will, to order events together for his good purpose and pleasure, but also, ultimately, for the good of Simon himself. The second portrait of grace there is the thief on the cross. And and Matthew and Mark indicate both of the criminals were Reviling Jesus at a certain point, like in other words, it, it, there were two criminals hung on either side of Jesus, both of them were mouthing off, just like everybody else around was. Uh, you can go back and read Matthew uh, chapter fifteen sorry Mark chapter fifteen uh, I'm trying to remember the chapter i don't have it right off in my uh, in my head, uh, which Chapter and verse, that is from Matthew, I believe it's uh, 27. But either way, both both thieves were mouthing off at Jesus. And and I'll I'll read uh, what it says in in verses 40 to 43 again here. Because there's a point at which one thief has a change of heart. The one criminal is railing at him, verse 39, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Let me just point out as a footnote there, it ended up fascinating at times the mind of an unbeliever. People who in the 21st century would absolutely revile God and yet turn around in, in the next breath and say something that indicates they expect he ought to do good toward them. Listen, and you'll notice this tendency. Sometimes It's fascinating just about the fallen heart of man. To revile God on one hand, but, it, but expect him to act in a certain way on the other. This one uh, criminal says that, and then the other says, he rebuked him, verse 40, saying, Do you not fear God? since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So two statements I want to kind of underscore here of most significance. One that he says, we are receiving... The due reward of our deeds. That's a confession, a confession of his sin. He recognizes, I've sinned, I'm getting what I deserve. The, the second is, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There's a sort of repentant cry of faith. He's calling out to Jesus to save him. This is actually remarkable. You've probably read this so many times, it's not remarkable anymore, or at least there's the risk of that. It doesn't strike you um, as anything special, but here's a man who, by the accounts of the other gospel writers, were reviling Jesus, and then on the cross, while he's hanging there dying, has a change of heart and mind that he appears to have been born again right there on the cross. You remember John said, or Jesus said in John 3, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, here, this thief on the cross sees it. He sees it. Everybody else is, is, is mocking Jesus. If you're a king, save yourself. Get yourself down off the cross. What kind of king are you? And he recognizes all of a sudden, His kingdom is not of this world. Because he knows he's not getting down off that cross, neither one of them. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. That is absolutely an extraordinary change of mind that happens right there while he's hanging on the cross. By the grace of God, brought to a point, he's given new life spiritually. He is awakened to the truth. He sees in that moment, what he had never seen before and what he hadn't seen even just moments before. The truth about his own sin, which he confesses. The truth about the kingdom of Christ and his lordship, which he professes and th- uh, thrusts his faith upon. That is, that is the sovereign grace of God in action. And I love seeing that. That even one, even one who has spent his entire life living in sin of of what particular kind, we don't know, but a criminal who's been uh, deemed worthy of death, His, his, his whole life, well, I don't, don't even know that it's his whole life, but his, his life is, is, is being defined by those, that pattern of decisions at this particular moment, and he knows that he deserves it. And right before he breathes his last breath, God saves him by his grace for his glory. And, the, and these are two portraits of that, that God, by his own sovereign initiative, according to his good pleasure and purposes, brought Simon into contact with Jesus and service to him, brought this one thief to repentance and faith. And as I said, life didn't get easier for either one of them. Not immediately. In fact, it would not be any better for the thief until the next life, which was going to be shortly after that little exchange that he had. But some of you today may identify with Simon in the sense that you've had your own plans for your life, maybe even up to this point right here or until very recently. You had your own plans for your life and you were pursuing them. uh, and, And with respect to Jesus and his church, you were just sort of a passerby. In fact, maybe you're not really sure how you got here today but like this maybe hasn't been an ordinary pattern in your life, but just sort of a passerby until God decided otherwise. And it very well may be for you as it is for many people that there are some real heavy hardships in life that, that, that come upon us and maybe have come upon you that have brought you to the place of crying out to God when you never thought of God before, never particularly wanted to cry out to Him, wanted to keep your distance from Him perhaps. But that's a common story about how how God uh, exercises His work of grace in the life of somebody. And sometimes it's, it's very often through adversities that would lead them to Jesus. And that may be true of some today. Or maybe some who feel like I have sinned all my life. And on one hand I I want to be forgiven. On the other hand, I know that I don't deserve it. Like I've sort of cheated the system. Made my own path for all my life. I've heard an account of somebody saying exactly that. Who got cancer. Was facing death. Somebody shared the gospel with him. And he said, you know, uh, it sounds great. But I, I just, I don't deserve that. Other people have followed the Lord. And I haven't. And I knew I haven't. You know, I knew I hadn't. I knew I wasn't. I knew I was rejecting God. I, I it just seems like I, that's not fair. And it isn't fair. It's actually not fair that anybody would be saved. But that'll have to be another message for another day. But there may be some who, who, who kind of think of themselves that way. You know you have you, you've written the rules yourself for your own life, for your whole life. And now you're at the point where you're closer to death than you you are to birth. Like the end of life is uh, closer in your future than your birth is in your rearview mirror. And you know that. You have a sense of your own mortality. And think, it's too late. Too far gone. I'm not even going to stoop to ask God to forgive me at this point. And, and what, you, what you need to see in the portrait of the thief on the cross is that it's never too far gone, and it's never too late. That God is glorified by saving graciously. I mean, the, the, more, the more obvious it is that, it, that the salvation is a work of the Lord, The more glorified he is through it. And that is one of his purposes in salvation is that it will all be to the glory of his grace. And he receives all the glory for a thief on the cross who can't even give hand signals, you know, of what he might. I mean, there's like not even many gestures he can do for anything on his own behalf. Yet by the grace of God, he's born again, brought to a point of confession, repentance, and faith in Jesus. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. And guess what? Today, he is still there. He is still there. And all that we just sang about, and he is worthy, that we need to remind ourselves of, Of how good and glorious eternity will be with him. Those are good reminders. And the thief on the cross. Has been soaking it up. For a whole lot longer. Than he hung on that cross. Uh, He has basked in pleasures. Far more numerous. Far more glorious than all of the crimes he ever committed combined. He belonged to Jesus by the grace of God, and so can you and I. And that's really his invitation still to those who have not said yes to him, who have not acknowledged their own sin before him, and, and cried out to him to save you. May today be that day. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this beautiful story, these beautiful portraits of your grace working in ways that only you can, in ways that we can't fully understand. But I can certainly thank you even personally, though I wasn't a criminal or crucified for it, that I was still a sinner and yet Christ died for me. That I was dead in my trespasses and sins and he made me alive. I was an enemy. And by the sacrifice of Jesus, I was made a friend and a child and an air. We thank you, Lord, for that grace. And we do pray that there would be even those within the sound of my voice now who would be moved by your Spirit, awakened from spiritual death to life, that what they've never understood about the good news, suddenly they would understand and come to a saving faith in Jesus and all the glory and joy that comes with that, even as following you comes with its own challenges and hardships. It is good. And Lord, would you prove that to be true Would you convince us of that freshly in the name of Jesus? Amen.